This is the Emergency Medical Minute, sponsored by Mile High Ambulance. All right, guys, good morning. So this is a case that I had about a year ago. I thought I had done a medical minute on it, but looking back, at least I didn't record it. So I'm sorry if this is a double up. It's a case that I think about often and one that probably is going to come up forever uh, around vaccine season. So a 17-year-old male, specifically a 17-year-old and 11-month-old male who initially presented to the SWER, he had some chest pain that started about a week after feeling kind of sick, about a day after getting vaccinated for COVID and the flu, and about four hours after taking a big dose of like a pre-workout or something with a ton of caffeine in it. So he presents to one of our freestanding EDs. His initial non-sensitive troponin was negative. His EKG showed some kind of specific changes that we'll talk about in a little bit. And he got signed out to the oncoming provider pending his delta troponin because he had presented within those first four hours of having chest pain. So he was pending his delta troponin. The next doc that was oncoming did thankfully get that next troponin. And it was positive. It was at a, about at 0.1. And so looking back at his EKG at that point, he had these diffuse ST segment elevations with some kind of concavity to those segments and there was some concern that he could have pericarditis so he got sent over here kind of my next learning point around this he got sent over here without having talked to any of the consultants that he was going to need so didn't talk to cardiology didn't talk to the intensivist here but got sent over here for some more monitoring and for some sensitive troponin draws when he got here he had his first sensitive troponin was in the 2000s his ekg was unchanged and he had a bedside echocardiogram that just showed maybe some concern for a little bit of fluid, nothing horrible on his initial ultrasound. He got delta troponins then every two hours after that, and they quickly became unreadably high, so just higher than our machine would go. And they stayed that high despite, you know, kind of getting repeat draws. Once we spoke with the cardiologist here, unfortunately, because he was 17 years old and 11 months, he was one month shy of his 18th birthday. They said that they were not going to be covered to treat this kid because he was he was still technically a pediatric patient. On calling a lot of our neighborhood pediatric centers, including Children's and Rocky Mountain Center for Children's, they're really much more familiar with doing peds cases that are like cardiac abnormalities or, or malformations, congenital abnormalities. And so they didn't feel comfortable taking this kid now with what was turning into a perimyocarditis type picture. And so we had a really hard time dispositioning this kid. Unfortunately, our ICU felt pretty uncomfortable. Our cardiologist here felt pretty uncomfortable. And we were having a hard time finding a cardiologist anywhere else in the city that wasn't going to be comfortable taking this kid. So that was sort of the logistical side of things. In terms of his diagnosis, so pericarditis is uh, some inflammation around the outside sac of the heart. And in order to generate the changes that we see on the EKG, the pericardium itself is acellular. So in order to generate the EKG changes, that we see associated with pericarditis, you really need to have some amount of myocardial involvement. And so this guy did obviously have some EKG changes and eventually developed sort of a full-blown myocarditis. But anytime we're talking about EKG changes in the setting of pericarditis, some amount of the myocardium is involved. So that's kind of the first takeaway. We ended up doing recurrent ultrasounds on this patient. One of the things that we were hoping not to find was any increase in that fluid that he initially presented with. You know, in that pericardial space, you typically have about 50 cc's of fluid that sits in there normally, and it just helps lubricate things and helps the heart pump normally. But that fluid can expand, especially under conditions of inflammation. And so we were really hoping that that didn't happen for him. As his myocardium became more involved, he's a young, healthy, fit kid. He's got a lot of myocardium to work with. And so he has a lot of troponin that can be released from all of that muscle. It's not surprising that his troponin rose so quickly. I like bedside ultrasound. I did a fellowship in ultrasound. So kind of one of my passions and, and being able to see on his bedside ultrasound, there's a number that's called an EPSS and basically can help you generate sort of a poor man's ejection fraction. 
And as that number rises, as that EPSS rises, you can say kind of definitively that his ejection fraction is going down. And so really, should he have developed any significant amount of pericardial effusion, that was probably what would have been enough to tip him over into arrest. By the time he eventually got upstairs and had his formal echo done, unfortunately, his EF was less than 10%. And eventually, the next morning, he did end up getting dispositioned. They eventually found a bed for him at the Children's. He got transferred for cardiac transplant. In terms of treatments for perimyocarditis, there's not a lot. You want to keep a close eye on uh, that inflammation. You want to keep trending their troponins just because it gives you an idea of how much of the myocardium is involved. Getting repeat ultrasounds can be helpful just so you know what direction he's trending overall. And then anti-inflammatory medications are really the only mainstay. So things like, uh, you know, an NSAID of some sort, they're all going to get an aspirin because they came in with chest pain, but adding on an NSAID, like, you know, an ibuprofen or a colchicine, something on top of that. In terms of outcome, unfortunately, this kid, you know, didn't do super well. He did end up having to get a, a cardiac transplant. In terms of things that we could have done sooner or intervened on sooner. I'm not sure that there was a ton. You know, he was going to end up with this level of information one way or the other. I think every time somebody comes in with perimyocarditis, the concern is like, I see these ST segment elevations. How sure am I? Can I be absolutely sure that this is just inflammation inside of the cardiac musculature or is this actually a STEMI or, or something that needs intervention? And so I think that was one of our questions. You know, every cardiologist we called, that was our question. Are you sure that there's nothing else that can be done? Are you sure there's nothing else that needs to be done? So... Tough case, something I think about a lot around vaccine season. In terms of risk factors, hard to say definitively, was this this kid's recent infection? Was it his recent vaccines? I think we can probably take his pre-workout off the table. I think that was just making him tachycardic when he first presented or probably making that piece of it worse. But COVID vaccines have been associated with a small amount of myocarditis. I think that the Pfizer vaccine, you know, over like a two-year catchment period had like 40 cases. I think the Moderna vaccine had about another 40, 40 cases, which is still significantly lower than the risk of getting myocarditis just from getting COVID alone. So in terms of whether or not you should get vaccinated, if, if all you were looking at was myocarditis, like in terms of myocarditis, should I still get vaccinated? Yes, please still get vaccinated. Your risk of getting a clinically significant myocarditis from the infection is a lot higher. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Health One Continental Division and Swedish Medical Center for their financial contributions to the EMM. Donations from them and listeners like you make it possible for us to fulfill our mission of producing and spreading free medical education to the masses. If you enjoy our show, please consider making a one-time or reoccurring donation to help cover our operational costs and keep the EMM awesome. Click on the link in our show notes to make a donation. Thank you for listening.